This edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on the 26th of June 2021 on Monocle 24. Hello, I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Coming up in the next half an hour, the political reporter and regular Monocle 24 contributor Vincent McAvinney will be here to tell us what's in the papers. Now, there's one story we certainly can't escape. It wasn't me. Some newspaper called me red-handed, creeping with the joy next door. It wasn't me. Said you wanted some of that bad got banging on my down the street door. The infidelity, hypocrisy, veracity and competency of the British Health Secretary is questioned across the media and it also made it into an alternative take of Shaggy's It Wasn't Me. Also ahead, Monocle's contributing editor Andrew Muller will be on hand with his left field take on some of the week's weird and wonderful stories. We learned that a ceasefire has been declared in the so-called sausage war between the UK and the EU. And that's not the worst of it. Thank you very much, Andrew. We'll also be heading to the Western Balkans to find out what the region can offer visitors who are hungry for some offbeat travel. All of that coming up on Monocle on Saturday on Monocle 24. A judge sentenced former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin to 22 and a half years in prison on Friday for the murder of George Floyd during an arrest in May 2020, video of which galvanised a national protest movement against racism. The verdict was widely seen as a landmark rebuke of the disproportionate use of police force against black Americans. U.S. President Joe Biden met Afghan President Ashraf Ghani and his former political foe Abdullah Abdullah yesterday at the White House, where he called on Afghans to decide the future of their country, as the last U.S. troops pack up after 20 years of war and government forces struggle to repel Taliban advances. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says he has asked the Pope to come to Canada to apologise for the Catholic Church's role running residential schools for Indigenous children after nearly 1,000 bodies were found in two mass graves. The residential school system, which operated between 1831 and 1996, removed about 150,000 Indigenous children from their families and brought them to Christian residential schools, mostly Catholic, run on behalf of the federal government. A federal commission's report found the residential school system enacted cultural genocide on Canada's Indigenous people. And Prime Minister Boris Johnson has rejected calls to fire his health secretary, Matt Hancock, after pictures appeared of him embracing and kissing an aide in his office in what he acknowledged was a breach of coronavirus rules. An opinion poll shows that more than half of UK adults said Hancock should resign. And that's your Monocle 24 News. Well, it's time now to browse through this morning's newspapers and I'm joined today by Vincent McAvinney, a political reporter and a regular Monocle 24 contributor. Great to see you, Vinny. Good morning. Uh, Let's pick up on that last story in our headlines because, of course, it is absolutely everywhere. I don't think there is a UK front page that doesn't feature this story. It is the story that keeps on giving, sadly, for our eyes. It is uh, the, um, you know, this story was reawakened last night because on Thursday night, The Sun published the front page with the stills that we 
thought they were just stills from a CCTV camera in the health secretary's office. And I woke up quite early yesterday and just checked my phone, saw it, and it was in old Fleet Street parlance a marmalade dropper. A story so shocking that you, you know, if you were reading it on the breakfast table, the spread would fall off the toast. And then last night, when the video emerged, I mean, it was a bit like, do you remember that movie The Ring where there was the video and if you watched it, you get haunted by a ghost, but people still watched it anyway. Like watching it and just, it was like, it's like watching two robots try to make out. But there's this moment at the top where like Matt Hancock like peeks around the door to check it's safe and then closes it and then stands against it. It is... I mean, you can't unsee it. Uh, and it is going to, I think, you know, he, he apologised yesterday for breaking the COVID rules. The Prime Minister, though, said he could stay in his position because we have a Prime Minister who can really never fire anyone for any kind of indiscretion in their personal life, given his own track record. Uh, but I think after seeing that video, a lot of people stay very angry that at a time, because this was early May, when you still couldn't hug a loved one, when we still had incredible restrictions, when people hadn't seen grandparents and things for months, uh, going on years, uh, that Matt Hancock, who was on television, you know, telling everyone not to hug, to stay distant, was going at it with an aide who he had appointed an old friend being paid by the taxpayer in his office. Which is extraordinary. And there are so many levels of this story to unpack. I mean, firstly, obviously, the coronavirus rules. Infidelity, as you say, which now doesn't seem to cause, which would have been a resigning matter for previous administrations, mm. doesn't seem to cause a ripple these days because of the Prime Minister's behaviour. Uh, but then you also have the fact that he's appointed this woman, no medical experience. It looks like very much a... Jobs of friends. Yeah. Exactly. And then you look further, her family, her brother in particular, recipient of big NHS contracts um, and then the just the sheer hypocrisy of it all. And finally, the security breach. What on earth is, is this footage doing in the public domain? This is from the heart of government. There's, there is so much to unpack here, and you are so right. I mean, just to go through those things, yeah, I mean, her family getting contracts. This is something Matt Hancock's had as well, that it was discovered that his sister was the director of a firm, of which he also has a stake, I believe, and they had got NHS contracts, but it was sort of NHS Wales. But it just adds to this climate of sleaze within this government. It is just like John Major in the early 90s where it's, you know, contracts for friends, hiring your friends and then having affairs with people and staying in the job. You know, it does remind you of David Mellor that that really punished John Major's government because he didn't sack him. He stood by his friend, but it went on for months and months. And I think this story is not going to go away. The Sunday papers in this country will be digging up everything they can. I've already seen this morning there are lots of pictures of Matt Hancock just with this one assistant uh, having dinner and things like that. And yeah, if it was a spad, that, that is quite normal. But most people, and Matt Hancock does, have more than one spad. But if we're seeing lots of pictures of just the two of them, then that shows that this was a significant relationship. Uh, there is, you know, a pool camera placements out today. I mean, you do have to feel incredible sympathy for his wife. He also has three children. And uh, the assistant also has a husband as well. And their lives are going to be turned upside down now because, you know, the public anger is, is building and building. Uh, one point that really struck out to me last night, before we get on to the security side of all this, is, you know, a, a commentator, Isha Hazarika herself, a former SPAD, senior SPAD with Labour, um, made a very valid point that I think is going to take off. And I've seen this morning it has been included in a lot of coverage. You know, at around the same time, Prince Philip had passed away. And I think the whole nation, the whole world, even if you're not a, a, a monarchist, felt incredibly sorry for a woman who had lost the love of her life, that had been by her side for decades, and she was alone in that uh, 
church in Windsor, unable to have anyone next to her, and she respected the rules. And Matt Hancock, the enforcer of those rules, creator of those rules, was doing this. And I, I think it will make his position as we go through the weekend pretty untenable. But on the security point, we understand at the moment they're saying there'll be no inquiry into this. I mean, this he his office, he likes to be filmed in his office. He does interviews there. He's got a giant portrait of the Queen behind him, a Damien Hirst picture. But you have to wonder, well, was this CCTV camera? Who installed it? Why, why is it in the office? What else could it have seen? Because he is a very senior member of government. And it is surprising, I think, that there isn't, you know, an investigation into how, how did this footage get out? Why is that CCTV camera there? Because I think if it was in another department, an incredibly sensitive department, say the Ministry of Defence, I think we'd be really wondering, well, has national security been compromised mm. by this camera? Absolutely. And then Boris Johnson saying he considers the matter is now closed. That's the kind of thing a dictator says. The matter is not closed. The country is talking about this. And over half, as opinion polls show, want Hancock to resign. Well, I think there's a long game here going on from the government. You know, there's been a question marks over the kind of experience of Boris Johnson's cabinet and how skilled that they are. It is, you know, as Abraham Lincoln said, he wanted a cabinet of, uh, of rivals, you know, I don't think there's really anyone in here apart from Rishi Sunak these days who could rival Boris for for leadership. Uh, but w- with Matt Hancock and I think with Gavin Williamson as well, particularly, you know, he he faced incredible pressure last year and he lost the confidence of parents around the country who were incredibly angry at the education secretary and teachers because of how he messed up the exam system and all that happened then. But he's managed to stay in his job. I think we're seeing the same with Matt Hancock because there is huge pressure to get the public inquiry into COVID underway. And within Downing Street, you know, it is thought, and this is something that we've heard from Dominic Cummings as well, uh, that they are going to use people like Matt Hancock as the fall guys, that they're going to pin it on them for the excess tens of thousands of deaths in this pandemic. Uh, And we already knew from text leaked by uh, Dominic Cummings that the Prime Minister thought that uh, Matt Hancock was, quote, absolutely effing useless. Um, And so, you know, he's been kept in this position possibly to be a sort of sacrificial lamb. And whether or not he can now stay in this position, it it is a real question mark uh, because, you know, if this this is not going to go away, the footage is just too... Uh, astonishing. Mm. Uh, and uh, just before we leave this story, what I've also loved is the huge and almost instant response from uh, comedians. Yeah, it is, you know, comedians have really adapted to to the pandemic and, and you know, doing viral videos. I've got a friend who's a comedian, Stephen Martin. She's done some great ones about, like, you know, package deliveries and, you know, signing into those capture things and all the kind of annoyances. And, and, and talking to her, you know, it's a bit of a race to get on top of these issues as they break. And yesterday, the comedians were out in force getting on top of this Manhattan story. And we're going to listen to a song in a second, which just absolutely tickled everyone. But I think, you know, there's lots of political stories where and scandals where it's all about, does it cut through with the public? And, um, you know, that term is used. It's not cutting through. The public don't care. Well, I tell you what, I was on a train yesterday uh, down from Liverpool and I was sitting behind two very scouse girls, one who even had her rollers on for the big trip down to London. And they were all of 19, 20. They were taking pictures on Snapchat. You know, they were having light, frivolous, fun, young conversation. But they got on to Matt Hancock and, you know, they knew who he was. They were watching the footage and they were like, that is outrageous. You don't do that at work. That, you know, he's a scumbag. He should go. This is cutting through. And especially with the comedy, you know, in, in I think lots of people have remarked, 
you can tell as a journalist when a story is really taking off because in your non-journalist WhatsApp groups, people are sharing the memes, people are talking about it, and that is what's been going on, I think, around the country the last 24 hours. Absolutely. Let's hear from my compatriot, uh, the Zimbabwean comedian Munya Chihuahua. Uh, it's his take on Shaggy's It Wasn't Me because in terms of Matt Hancock, it definitely was. It wasn't me. Some newspaper call me red bonded, creeping with the toy next door. Wasn't me. Said you wanted some of that bad Bangkok banging on my down the street door. How could I forget I wasn't wearing any BB? Though she hasn't had a vaccination, she got a little break from me. Mr. Hancock, tell me, are you high? Are you burning? Having an affair, this guy was trying to be conning. They should call him Dominic because he's always coming. When he sees a sky news cruise, his man is running. I can't believe this man is our secretary. Fondling in the bunda, caught in 4K. Having an affair, trying to do a Boris J. Two meter distance apart, no yeah, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some newspaper call me red bandit, creeping with a toy next door. Said you wanted some of that bad Hancock banging on my down the street door. How could I forget I wasn't wearing any BB? She hasn't had a the sound there of Munya Chihuahua and uh, his take on Shaggy's It Wasn't Me. Um, quite, quite extraordinary, all of this. And as you say, the story will keep on giving. Uh, now, we briefly touched on the fact that uh, this footage was leaked in the first place and that it existed in the first place. Now, there's another form of uh, footage that police are making a lot of use of at the moment. And I see that there are a couple of pieces about that in the, in the papers today. And this is about... CCTV doorbells. Now, I have one of those, a, a Zoom doorbell, and I have to say, uh, my 21-year-old daughter absolutely hates it because I know exactly when she comes in. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. there's a really good piece in, in The Guardian about these things like Ring um, and Google Nest that have these doorbells. Uh, you know, they've become pretty prevalent in the last few years. If you walk around many cities, you just see them on the front of every, every property going. Um, and it allows you to kind of, you know, be a alerted on your phone when someone's at the doorbell you can access it as a continuous feed uh, but it is interesting that you know after years of debate and you think about in the kind of post uh, 9-11 world and the kind of early 2000s and, and stuff you know the huge debates we had about this giant CCTV network that the government was building and then lo and behold when the device is commercialised and made at our convenience it's installed them on every door <laughs> and we've effectively built an even bigger CCTV network but they are proving incredibly useful for police forces, particularly, of course, to track down burglars. And, and there are some really good stories in this Guardian piece about, you know, burglars they've been trying to track down for, for years, decades, and they and they just get caught out by these doorbells because, you know, a whole street can just be absolutely covered from, from every angle. Uh, and there's a, you know, a very sad incident here that talks about Sarah Everard, who was a young woman who uh, was uh, murdered earlier this year in London. All the footage uh, that the police used to track her movements in the minutes before her death was from these police doorbells. So they are providing a, a public benefit in some ways, as well as letting you know when your parcels are there. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I mean, I do find mine extremely useful. Um, Vincent, please stay with us because we've got lots to come on the show and I'm sure that there's uh, uh, many more stories that we can dip into. Right now, though, let's join Andrew Muller for his sideways take on the week's news.
we learned this week of an exciting new patriotic endeavour for Brexit Britain. No, don't. No, 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 It's been five years, you treacherous metropolitan latte-slurping elitists. Get with the programme. We learned that June 25th is, it says here, One Britain, One Nation Day, a name right there likely to prompt questions in large swaths of Scotland, a fair whack of Northern Ireland, a not inconsiderable section of Wales, and, if we're honest, quite a lot of treacherous metropolitan latte-slurping elitist London. Visit the Monocle Cafe, 18 Chilton Street. We learned that as part of the One Britain, One Nation Day enterprise, schoolchildren the length and indeed breadth of these sceptred isles were to be encouraged at 10am on One Britain, One Nation Day to rise as one nation and one Britain in patriotic song. Specifically, this patriotic song. still have that gong. We then learned of quite the ethical dilemma. While the song is obviously objectively terrible and the sentiments animating it arguably somewhat sinister and the entire endeavour daft in the extreme, the anthem was in fact written by a bunch of primary school kids in Bradford. Yeah, we feel pretty bad about it as well. Although not as bad as whoever chose the date of June 25th will have felt when someone told them that the summer school term in Scotland finished on June 23rd. Elsewhere. learned of a week's news cycle furnishing bountiful temptation to whimsical news monologues with a weakness for lamentable puns, hang in there, we'll make it quick. We learned that one of the principal henchmen of former US President Benito Cartman has taken independent legal counsel, and we learned that his name is Matthew Calamari, so we're wondering if he's offering a squid pro quo. Yes, thank you. And we learned police in California investigating the theft of 19 metric tons of pistachio nuts have made an arrest and can therefore claim to have cracked the case, made good on their threat to the miscreant that we'll cash you, etc. Nearly done. And we learned that a ceasefire has been declared in the so-called sausage war between the UK and the EU. A compromise has been struck under which the current grace period has been extended, and we hope you're enjoying the subtle sound effect of a can being kicked down the road. But it does seem to be the case that the worst is over. Look, you don't like it. Tell the world to make the news less stupid.
Speaking of which, we learned further of the thinness of the skin which envelops Hungary's choleric Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Orban bailed at the last minute on attending what turned out to be Hungary's valiant two-all draw with Germany in Munich, apparently for fear of being seen anywhere near some sort of rainbow-related colour scheme after Hungary's parliament occasioned justifiable outrage around Europe by passing an idiotic law forbidding any depiction of homosexuality that might be encountered by impressionable people under 18, and thereby betraying a complete lack of understanding of how this stuff works. And why yes, we are soundtracking a bit on Viktor Orban with Sylvester, we are that childish. Sticking with the cunningly established themes of Hungary and football, it may seem to the untrained observer like we just crank this stuff out, but we don't, can we have some sort of doubtless cacophonous mashup of the Hungarian and Romanian national anthems? Because we also learned that two Eastern European capital cities have perilously similar names. At least if by we, we mean a party of French football fans who should have paid more attention in geography classes. The hapless supporters secured tickets for France's recent European Championship match against Hungary and duly packed their accordions and pointlessly long bread and booked flights to... Bucharest. Well, quite. Upon arrival in Romania's capital, they further assumed that the Ukrainian fans already gathered to see their team play Austria at the Arena Nationale were in fact Hungarians and so did not realise their error until it was too late to get a train to Budapest for the match they came to see. However, in the kind of bleak irony which has underpinned decades of excruciating French cinema, the fates have dictated that France's round of 16 match against Switzerland actually is happening in Bucharest on Monday. We have not learned, however, whether the bungling adventurers have stuck around for it. Because we don't care. For Monocle24, I'm Andrew Moore. Uh, and still with me is Vincent Racavini. Vincent, uh, just about on GB News, I see that Andrew Neil, who's the founder, uh, ha- suddenly announced on air that he'd, he'd be going away for a few weeks. It seems a little bit odd directly after setting up the station. It does seem very strange. Now, he is actually, despite fronting GB News, a uh, resident in France, where he spent a lot of the pandemic broadcasting, talking about what Britain needs to do. But yeah, there's, there's a report in the Times this morning that he has had some kind of row with uh, Angelos Frangelopoulos, uh, who the channel's chief. Uh, You know, I have heard from people that work in and around GB News that uh, things have not been the rosiest behind the scenes. It's been, you know, everyone has seen the the jokes that that have been kind of going around online that they've had major technical difficulties. But, you know, these are a lot of people with egos and some of them have a lot of broadcasting experience and some of them simply don't. And I think they thought it was easier than they've realised. Live TV is hard. Live rolling TV is incredibly hard. It is such a marathon. And, you know, technical failures are, are par for the course. You have to smooth over them. Um, but, you know, 
they are really, I think, still struggling. They've had this advertiser boycott. So I think it is very curious that he's disappearing so soon because, you know, Andrew Neil is not someone that likes to step out the spotlight. Uh, absolutely. Very quick look at uh, Britney Spears. I mean, this isn't a story we would normally cover, but actually it says a lot about the legal system in the US. Yeah, I think, you know, hashtag free Britney started as a bit of a joke a few years ago, but credit to those fans because sometimes things hide in plain sights. And for 13 years, this singer, who was much derided in the butt of many jokes, but has never really done anything wrong. You know, you look back at the early footage, she was a very young woman thrust into global spotlights, you know, in a way at 16 that few people could ever handle. And she became the butt of many jokes. Many people made their careers, like Christina Aguilera, on dissing her. And she never really sunk to those levels. She just got on with it. But we know that she had difficulties uh, and that led to a breakdown. But she is effectively a modern slave and a handmaid because this conservatorship, which is only for people at the end of their lives who cannot manage their affairs because they're affected by things like Alzheimer's or dementia, she has been forced into this and her family have preyed on her. You know, some they've said that she doesn't have the capacity to run her own life and maintain herself. This is a woman who has worked throughout those years on tours, on Vegas residencies, and we now discover in testimony from the court, in very lucid and, and you know, she was not someone suffering. She explained what was going on that her money was being siphoned off to pay for everyone's lawyers to keep her in this, that her own lawyer hadn't told her until recently that she could fight in a certain way and appeal to get out of it. And she documents all the things that have been done to her, including being forced to have an IUD inside her body. She's not allowed to get married and she's not allowed to have any more kids. She has no control over her money. She cannot go anywhere that she wants. This is a person who is bound in a modern slavery. And she herself said, you know, under California law, the closest thing that this is to is sex trafficking. I have no control over any aspect of my life and I am forced to work and everyone else lives off me and all the lawyers in this courtroom are being paid by me. It was just remarkable testimony and, you know, we've kind of seen the past couple of months the New York Times did a documentary the BBC did and people have kind of still laughed at her a bit about this situation but this is very clearly in a country like America where personal liberty and freedom is absolutely number one. This person has been trapped like this for 13 years and I just think if this was any male celebrity it would have they would have gotten out of it after a year imagine doing this to a member of the Rolling Stones saying to them oh you've got a bit of a drug problem you're a bit prolific with the children we're going to lock you in this conservatorship it just wouldn't happen it absolutely would not you're completely right and this is a story again that's going to develop as we hear more from, from, from the courtroom um, I want to talk about travel now because uh, we have Guy Delaunay uh, with us. Uh, countries along the Adriatic coast on the Balkan Peninsula are all reliant on tourism, some more than others, and they're all making efforts to welcome visitors during the summer season. Well, the idea is to make it a win-win for their own economies and for tourists heartily sick of not being able to travel. So what's going on in Slovenia, Croatia and Montenegro? Well, as I say, uh, Monocle's Guy Delorne is in Slovenia's capital, Ljubljana, and he's heading to the Croatian coast next week lucky you guy going off on holiday mm -hmm. <laughs> let's start with slovenia can we get in here from britain and what have we got once we're there 
Yep. First things first, if you've had a double jab of any coronavirus vaccine, you're in. So that includes AstraZeneca, which, of course, I think is a bit of a problem with the United States, isn't it? And it also includes Chinese and Russian uh, versions of the coronavirus vaccines. Uh, so if you've got yourself jabbed in Hungary or perhaps Serbia, um, you're in as well. Um, everything authorised by the European Medicines Agency, of course, you're fine too. So once you are in Slovenia, what you'll find when you get here is Slovenia... You won't be surprised to hear pushing its green and safe message very hard indeed. Now, this is a country where from my front door, I can be in the mountains on my bike in about 20 minutes. I can also see some beautiful rivers. I can in the winter go skiing on said mountains, although it's summertime now. So it's a cooling hike up there. Uh, But uh, an hour and a quarter's drive and I'm at the Adriatic coast. And on the way to the Adriatic coast, I can uh, have a dip in some beautiful lakes filled by the, uh, the meltwater from said mountains so this is what they're pushing uh, here in, in Slovenia but if you stay in the cities you'll find that the the cities are somewhat unfet I think we're already on to something like a third outdoor festival of the year here in Ljubljana and it's only uh, what just about uh, the end of June mm, and there's some extraordinary restaurants too Absolutely. And we've got Michelin stars here now in, in, in Slovenia. The first of those were awarded last year, a seven in total. Now, it has to be said, Georgina, if you're hoping for a you know, Michelin starred eating on the cheap in Slovenia, you're going to be disappointed. Because if you go to Hisha Franco in uh, the Socha Valley, which is where Anna Roche has uh, her restaurant with two Michelin stars, you'll be looking at, uh, at about 250 euros per head. And I've heard people say that they still go away hungry. Uh, but... <laughs> There, there are other options. So the other night I was at a launch of a new restaurant in Ljubljana called Breg, which is right in the centre of the city. And there's another Michelin star, star chef there, Jörg Zupan. Uh, and, and this is his idea of sort of home cooking. He says it's everyday cooking with fresh ingredients from Ljubljana, uh, from around Slovenia rather. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's aimed at ordinary people who want some uh, tasty comfort food, as he puts it. But I have to tell you, it looked rather posh on the plate and I, I haven't seen what the prices are yet. <laughs> um, let's talk about Croatia. That's presumably all about the coast. It is uh, a lot about the coast at any rate. And there's a lot of variety on offer on Croatia's coast. I think what many people are surprised about when they go to Croatia is that there isn't a lot in the way of sandy beaches. And for a British person, this is a shock, isn't it? Because, you know, for for myself as somebody from Liverpool, I grew up with sandy beaches pretty much literally on my doorstep. And then all the way up the West Coast, there's nothing really but but, but golden sand. And, And then you go to... Uh, the, the the coast of Istria and Dalmatia and hang on a second what are all these rocks doing here and do you call this this slab of concrete a beach and the answer is yes we do um, but th- there's all sorts of varieties so I'm going to Kvarna Bay uh, near the city of Rijeka which used to be the playground of the Habsburgs back in, in those sort of days and this is great because you can see all the lovely Habsburg villas sort of slowly crumbling away around there and you get a real sort of old school vibe which is which is terrific and these places just around the coast there like Lovran where I'm going are slightly unfashionable these days so you sort of avoid some of the crowds which you get in in certain other places 
Um, but you can find sandy beaches on the island of Kirk and you, also at the ancient city of Split, which is incredibly beautiful in its own right. And then we're looking at Dubrovnik, which isn't Sandy Beach Central, but I'm recommending it this summer because it's going to be perhaps one of the few opportunities you'll have to see Dubrovnik when it's not totally overrun by cruise ship arrivals. Uh, and finally, Montenegro, which relies on tourism even more than the other countries in the region. And it's so desperate for that uh, that they're not testing... Well, they're going to test the Brits, I think, actually, Georgina, but there's this whole long list of countries from which you can enter without any sort of certificate whatsoever. They just want you in um, because they get about 20% of their tourists from neighbouring Serbia, but just slightly fewer from Russia. Russia's their big uh, tourism customer, and they really want you back because they lost 85% of their tourists last year and a quarter of their GDP comes from tourism. Those numbers don't add up. So I'd recommend going to the the Bay of Kotor. And as your your producer, Reese will tell you, uh, Montenegro, as the name implies, is where the mountains meet the sea. And the, the scenery is absolutely spectacular. The weather can be unpredictable, it has to be said, but Kotor itself is a beautiful ancient port city. And again, you're not going to be overrun with cruise ships this year, so make the most of it. Guy, thank you very much indeed, and enjoy your trip. That was our Balkans correspondent, Guy Delaunay. Uh, Vinny, cruise ships, of course. Well, there's a big story today about Venice. I mean, uh, travel's undoubtedly changed, and in some cases for the better. But some people are vehemently against a return to the old ways, and, and that, that uh, is about cruise ships and, and, and Venice. Yeah, that's true. It's so interesting. So many cities in Europe are rethinking in the break that they've had about how they go forward with tourism. Uh, and, you know, I've, as mentioned there, Dubrovnik, I went to Dubrovnik around when season two, season three of Game of Thrones came out. It was still, you know, not too overwhelmed. But I know now from people that have gone that it it was really not a fun experience, which is such a shame because it's an amazing place. And Venice, similarly, you know, this was a debate that was being had because of accidents that had occurred uh, you know, it was never designed to have these giant cruise ships sailing into the city and, and berthing. Uh, and so there have been protests again uh, to try and block the return of cruise ships from sailing in because, you know, it is not only does it bring a sudden massive burst of people, but also just the damage that they can do when they lose control. Uh, and these ships are getting just bigger and bigger year on year. And really, there is no reason why they should be going in there. But it's a debate that many European cities are having about things like, you know, Amsterdam is thinking about, do they try and limit the numbers to stop too many tourists coming in? And Berlin as well, you know, the hollowing out of neighbourhoods because of buying to then convert to Airbnb properties. It's a real time for European cities to kind of reflect on how they want Want to go, you know, ahead to have a better relationship between locals and tourists. Absolutely. Now, it is almost impossible to plan if or when or indeed where we can travel these days. And I was wondering if perhaps the only option is to leave the planet entirely. <laughs> there seems to be some evidence that that kind of travel is actually happening the other way. Tell us about this UFO story. Well, this is the thing. You know, when you say UFO, you think Mulder and Scully, you think it's, you know, all a bit wild and dark tin corners of the hats. internet, tinfoil hats. But <laughs> there's been a campaign over the past couple of years, most famously by Harry Reid, who's Democratic uh, majority leader in the Senate, 
um, for the disclosure, and this is something that was slipped in right at the end of Trump's uh, time uh, that this got passed for a full release of Pentagon files on this, but a disclosure of the unexplained events that had been going on, particularly documented by US fighter pilots, of which there was radar data, there was video, there was accounts. Um, and so the there's been a push by some politicians because that there's a feeling that actually there is something going on. There is some kind of vessel moving that cannot be explained. And we need to rule out that this isn't a foreign adversary, that they haven't made some very secret break in technology, thinking about a country like China or Russia, that allows them to have a craft that moves in a way that we don't quite understand, that is kind of seemingly, uh, you know, undetectable. And so they finally, last night, were pushed into releasing this report. Now, the, the US government uh, under the Pentagon and the British government under the Ministry of Defence has had programmes running for decades looking into these unexpected explain things. And and what this report says, it's interesting. It says, uh, it kind of, you know, it basically says that, yes, there have been unidentified flying objects, which have, you know, part been detected by our military satellites. There is all this evidence. And it's something that Barack Obama, the foreign, uh, former president, said recently on, on one of the late night shows that he says that there are instances, there are things that happened in my presidency that cannot be explained. And so it is interesting that there is a recognition that in the US Pentagon that, you know, yes, there is, but, they, you know, they've ruled out, they've said it is not a secret American technology that, you know, people we weren't aware of. It could potentially be one of those foreign adversaries or there is some other explanation. Do, 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 yeah. It's time to beam us up because that's all we've got time for uh, on Monocle on Saturday. Many thanks to our studio engineer, Nora Hull, our supervising producer, Rhys James, and of course, to Vincent McAvinney for being with us throughout today's programme. Thank you, Vinny. I'm Georgina Godwin. Monocle on Saturday returns next week, or does it? Listener.